Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. fingerprints all over this church and all over my life individually, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to him for that, and I am thankful for an opportunity to speak to you uh, this evening. Um, full transparency, uh, when he asked me to speak, I was like, all right, yeah, uh, definitely glad to, but what? Uh, and then God quickly spoke to me, and I, I began to just, he just began to speak through me, and, and, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that what he spoke was him because of just how quickly and organically it all happened. And then Brother Cox got up to preach this morning, and I was like, why would you ask me to preach if you're going to preach what I was going to preach? So um, I had a choice to make. I said, well, I can either try and find something different, or I can be sensitive to the leading of God who clearly is trying to speak a message into our hearts and into our lives and into this church. So I'm not going to be bashful about it. I'm not going to be shy about it. You're going to hear some of the same things you heard this morning and some of the same things we heard last week. I'm not going to call it divine direction, but I believe I've been given divine direction on what we're going to learn about, what we're going to talk about, and what we're going to grow from tonight in Jesus' name. Let's go to the Lord quickly in prayer and we'll get into his word tonight. God, I thank you so much for your presence in this place. I thank you so much for your hand upon us, Lord God, your power, your strength, your glory, Lord Jesus, filling this house and filling our lives. I ask that you would let your hand be upon us tonight. Let us be open, Lord Jesus, and receptive. I thank you that your spirit's already been here and met us in a mighty way, but I don't believe that you're done, and I pray that you would help us to be surrendered to that, to be yielded to that. Lord, help my mind, help my words, Lord Jesus, to match the passion that's in my heart tonight, that we could quickly get to where you are calling us to be in your name. We praise you for it and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And somebody said amen. amen. Praise God. Brother Brom, I can come down a tremendous amount in the monitor. So I'm going to talk to us tonight about a couple people. And, um, and because I feel like we're mostly familiar with the stories, I'm not going to go in depth. I'm not going to read their, their whole story, their whole passages of Scripture. We'd be here a lot longer than we need to be if we did that. So I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of some, some of the lives of some men, some great men in the Bible. And I'm going to parallel that to where we're at today and where I believe God is wanting to take us. Is that all right? That's all right. Um, Samson is, is a man that, that we're familiar with, a man that we re- read his account in Judges. Uh, most famously, Samson took on himself a Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was, was mostly simple. You weren't supposed to touch anything that was dead. You weren't supposed to uh, consume anything from the vine, and you weren't supposed to cut your hair. And that's what made the Nazarite vow. And we know, according to the Word of God, according to the story in Judges, that Samson, due to that Nazarite vow, due to the fact that he was set apart and set aside with this commitment, commitment to God, he had been given great strength, supernatural, superhuman strength, and God used him to do many things, many miracles, and many mighty works, and wreak havoc really in the lives of the Philistines. So this Navarite vow of separation uh, led him to a place with God, but we know that he started down a wrong path. He started chasing a girl that he shouldn't have been chasing, the Philistines. He started uh, finding himself in situations that he shouldn't have been in. On his way back from 
seeing her, he broke another part of his, his commitment, his vow, and he came in contact with the, the dead carcass of a lion that he had slain. And then he began to further this, uh, this, this separation from God by developing a relationship with this Philistine woman, Delilah, and we're familiar with the story. Ultimately, she uh, causes him to tell her the secret of his strength. And when he does that, she takes advantage of it and she cuts his hair and he loses the supernatural power that God has placed on his life. So we see Samson who started out strong. He started out just being born with a commitment. His parents had already dedicated him to the Lord and said, we give him over to you. So he came up in an awesome place. He started out in a wonderful place and he took off from there and was continuing to be used of God in a mighty, mighty way. Samson had the power of God upon him, but he made some bad choices and he found himself separated from the power of God. He found himself cut off from the anointing of God. He made too many mistakes. Has anybody made too many mistakes you feel in your life? I've made a few mistakes. I feel like I've made too many mistakes, but yet God still chooses to use us and still chooses to let his hand be upon us. So we look tonight again at Joseph. We look at Joseph. We talked a little bit about him this morning. Joseph had a great start. Joseph was born to a godly man, one of the patriarchs of Israel. His father, uh, he was his father's favorite. He was blessed above all his brothers. He was given a coat of many colors. He was shown visions and dreams of God. And the jealousy of others led him to a pit, had him sold into slavery, had him lied about and thrown in jail. He was forgotten by friends and left in a jail. You see, Joseph had a great start, but other people brought him down. You ever been around people that have brought you down before? Have you ever made some wrong relationships or even not even this a wrong relationship, but you've been hurt to a point that other people have brought you down? We're going to look at the life of Saul. Saul of Tarsus was a man that had a bad start. He had a bad start. He was violently opposed to Christians and would persecute them, arrest them, and even assist in their murders. We see his recording. He was at the very first recorded martyrdom. He was holding the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. Then we find him, uh, his account, we find him on the road to Damascus. And why was he headed to Damascus? Not to do some mighty work of the Lord, no, but he was there to stop work of the Lord. He was on his way to Damascus because he heard of the coming, uh, the growing church there, and he was on his way to persecute them, not to kill them. He was on his way to wreak havoc upon the church. So Saul was a man that had a bad start. Anybody not started out in the right place? Yeah? We'll look at Job tonight. Job had a great start. Job was highly blessed and favored of the Lord. Job was rich beyond measure. He had children that liked each other and loved him. Now, if you don't have children, you don't realize the value of that statement. His children liked each other, and the way that we know that is because of the account that we have of them when they perished was that they were all in one house together, eating, breaking bread, being merry, and having a, and essentially a family gathering. So they liked each other, which is a blessing, but they liked him too. They honored him, and that's awesome. That's what we can hope for as parents is that when our kids grow up, they still like us. I, I was about to ask another raise your hand question. I'm just going to skip it. We're not going to ask that one. <laughs> so Job had a great start. He had an awesome start. He had many friends. He had a loving wife. But then the devil shows up and starts touching his life in every single area as nothing more than just a test of his faithfulness. Job went through some trials that he didn't bring on himself. 
Anybody ever gone through some trials and you didn't know why? You didn't understand what it was coming to. You didn't understand what it was about. You didn't feel like you deserved it. That might be the case. Job did nothing to earn these struggles. He did nothing to earn these trials, but yet he found himself in the pits of despair, in the lowest places of life due to no fault of his own. So what I'm telling us tonight, what I'm looking at tonight is that we've got four different men. We've got four different people. And across the spans of their lives, we can find each one of ourselves in some different places. Sure, some of us might have started out in a wonderful place. Some of us started, uh, started out on the right path. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe your, your parents were ministers or maybe they were active in their church. Maybe you grew up serving the Lord. And then through whatever circumstances came, you found yourself somewhat downtrodden, somewhat uh, separated from the power of God like Samson, or you found yourself being neglected or, or lied about, or jealousy found you uh, hurt and in a place of pain like Joseph. Or it could be like Saul that you didn't grow up in the church, you, you didn't grow up loving and knowing the things of God, and so you continued to work against the things of God, un, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Or it could be like Job where you don't even understand why and you can't put your finger on the reason that you've had struggles, but you've had struggles. So I feel like I'm comfortable in saying everybody that's in here that's lived any sort of life has had some point of hurt, has had some point of pain, has had some point in their life where they didn't know which way to go and they didn't know why all the pain was there and they didn't know where the, 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 the terrors of the devil were raining from in their life. But they found themselves at that point. And that can look like a lot of things, and I don't have the time or the notes to talk about everything that that could look like in your life. But by the nodding of heads, by the look that are on the people's faces as I look across this room, I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're identifying with it. And what's real to you is real to you, and you're identifying yourself there. Whatever the reason and whatever the circumstance, it doesn't matter. We've all been there. Praise God. We've all had these different life experiences, ups and downs. Some of our struggles have been self-inflicted. Some of them have, resulted, uh, have been a result of the people around us causing us harm. And some of us, um, like I said before, never had that godly foundation to lean upon. But if you'll indulge me tonight, I'd like to look at this very important date in history as we slightly shift gears. We're keeping the same thing, keeping our, our, ourselves uh, locked into this. We're going to shift from men to a historical event. We're going to carry our theme right along through it. It was 78 years ago yesterday that the United States of America uh, sat idly, refusing to enter the Second World War until just before 0800 hours on Sunday morning when Japanese fighter pilots and kamikazes launched a surprise attack on the Pacific Naval Fleet. We know this now as Pearl, Har Pearl Harbor the attack on Pearl Harbor, and what we now remember as that bombing of Pearl Harbor, but I think it's important that we should remember our nation's history, right? I think it's important that we honor the men and the women who have fought for our freedoms and those that continue to do so. Now, this was a day that shook America to its core. If I was to try and remind you of something more uh, recent that would be a similar event, think of September 11th. Think of the, 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 the just attack out of nowhere. Nobody's prepared for it. Nobody's ready for it. Nobody's engaged in conflict and war. And out of nowhere, an attack comes that shakes our nation to its core. And that's what happened some 78 years ago at Pearl Harbor, December 7th, queuing uh, President Roosevelt to uh, 
proclaimed the words the next day that yesterday, December 7th, 1941, was a date that will live in infamy. And he goes on to give this speech, and he goes on to share it. No doubt you've heard of it, or you've been exposed to it, or you've learned about it in a history class. I don't think there's anybody here that lived through that. Maybe there is, I don't know. But um, this was a time in our nation's history where we were just idly sitting by. We'd come already out of the First World War, and we were not engaging, specifically not engaging in this Second World War. We were a neutral country at this time. And yet Japan, out of nowhere, launches an attack and attacks our Pacific fleet. The reason that they did so was because they had plans to to work against the um, South Eastern Asian islands. They were planning attacks down there, and they didn't want America to interfere. So they figured if they could wipe out the, the Pacific fleet of the United States of America, there would be no interference in their plans to attack. And so they in, uh, embarked on this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, attack, I guess, is, for lack of a better word, that's exactly what it was, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And they, they launched this attack and caught us completely off guard because we weren't engaged in a war. Now, I feel like we can separate ourselves from history and look at our lives and say there's been times when we're just kind of idly sitting by, not really doing anything, not really making any dramatic moves, just kind of living life, and then all of a sudden we get sucker punched from behind, and we don't know where it came from, and we don't know what the reason was, and we don't know the cause, but we found ourselves shaken and distraught and disturbed, just like the United States of America did in 1941. So whether we're honoring history or whether we're looking at the lives of men of the Bible or whether we're looking at our own lives, it's no doubt that we found ourselves from time to time in a place that we've been shaken, regardless of the need and regardless uh, of, the, of the circumstance or the thing that brought it upon us, wham, we're in a war. We're in a battle. We feel like we're all of a sudden in the fight of our lives. We feel like through no fault of our own, something that we didn't deserve and that we didn't earn, or whether we did or not, it doesn't matter. Because when you're going through that kind of a struggle, when you're fighting the battles of life, when you're fighting the wars of life, whether it be spiritual or physical or emotional, when you're fighting that war, it doesn't matter the cause. It matters that you're in it. And too often we fail to see that there could be another side because we're so focused on just making it through, just surviving, just getting to the next step, just making it to tomorrow, just making it to Sunday so that I can feel the presence of God with my brothers and sisters, just making it to the house of God again on a Wednesday, just trying to get through, just calling for a brother or a sister, for a shoulder to cry on, for help and for strength, to ask the questions why, even though we know that there's no answer to why. We find ourselves asking God why, and we feel like he's not answering why. But the answer to the why always comes on the other side. The answer to the why always comes, but it's not always when we expect it. And it's not always when we want it. And I didn't have this in my notes, but I couldn't help but uh, have my mind sharpened to this. When, when Pastor was speaking this morning, he talked about those times that it feels like you're just walking through the quicksand. You can't make any traction. You can't gain any ground. You're trying to do what you're supposed to do to pick yourself up and keep going and keep moving forward. But all you're doing is sinking. All you're doing is struggling. All you're doing is fighting. And I reminded myself that when you're going through that, imagine how much strength that must be building in you. Imagine how much strength that must be building in you. 
So we get to this point tonight, and I feel like we've all identified with it. I feel like we don't have to drag ourselves to that point, whether you're still in it now or whether this is bringing up memories of a painful past. We've gotten the point, and we've gotten the message, and we've found ourselves here. But now comes the title and the, cluck, and, and the crux of my message, which is simply this. It's time to awaken the giant that's inside of you. It's time to awaken the giant that's inside of you. We can look at that that strength that that's building, those struggles, those hardships, that walking through the quicksand, and all it's doing is making you stronger. Going through the valley, you're climbing up the next mountain, and all that's doing is building your strength so that when you get to the next mountaintop, you can lift your hands, and you can lift your voice, and you can say, praise be to God. I can lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help, and know that my help comes from the Lord. I can say that, God, I didn't understand it then, and I might not understand it now, But as I've come through it, you've shown me that your hand of strength is upon me. And I'm here to testify today that I've been through the trials and it only made me stronger. I've lived through some circumstances and it only helped me grow. And it only prepared me to do more of what God's calling and pushing us to do. So we have those trials and we have those struggles. But there's always the reason why. You see, I like to acknowledge life as a reality because it is. Don't get me wrong. I believe fully in God and I believe with all my heart in God and his power and that he can do absolutely anything. But I'm also real enough and human enough to know that sometimes life happens and that that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I feel like sometimes people try and either get or act so spiritual that they're immune to the problems of life. Oh, you just need to pray more. You just need to, you you know, you don't need to worry about anything. You just need to pray more. Okay, well, yeah, you probably should pray more. But there's also real life situations that happen. There's also circumstances that, that actually hurt. There's also emotional wounds that no matter how much you pray, you still feel it. There's a reason that the Bible tells us to make our requests boldly before the throne of grace because he knows that we've got needs. He knows that we've got circumstances. He knows that there's uh, situations of life that has got us to a place that we need to come before him, that we need to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. Praise God. I'm thankful that that we realize that and that we understand that. And I don't want to brush over it or make it seem like what you've gone through or what you're going through is irrelevant or unimportant because it's not. If we discount what we're going through, then we discount the miracle of the answered prayer. If we don't acknowledge the struggle, then we don't acknowledge the Savior when we get to the other side. If we feel like we've made it on our own, then we don't have any need for a loving God who looks down on us and held our hand throughout it all. It's like the, the, the famous uh, poem, Footprints in the Sand, which I'm not even going to attempt to quote. But the, the, the guy basically he looks back through his life and he sees that there's the two sets of footprints that are walking through. And he's walking hand in hand with God. And then he says, in my darkest time, in my hardest time, I look back and there was only one set of footprints. Why would you have left me when life was the hardest? Anybody ever felt that before? We felt that before. Like, God, you just left. Life is so hard, and why now do you choose to to leave? Why now do you choose to not hear my prayers or not answer my prayers? And I stop and tell somebody, he always hears your prayers. He always answers your prayers. 
We might not always agree with the answer or understand the answer, but I tell you right now, it doesn't matter where you're at and it doesn't matter what you're going through. He always hears your prayers. And at the end of the poem, God tells the man essentially, the times that you saw only one set of footprints were the times that I was carrying you. You weren't ever fighting the battle on your own. Brother, sister, I'm here to tell you, you were never fighting the battle on your own. Right now, you're not fighting the battle on your own. You're not struggling on your own. You're not alone in this thing. But God's got his hand upon you. God's holding you. God's carrying you. And he's blessed you with brothers and sisters and a family of God that are here to lift you up, to hold you in your time of need, to give you strength, to speak life and speak hope and speak help into you. And he's telling you that you've never been alone. You've never been alone, and it's time to wake up and awaken a giant that lives inside of you because he's got more for you. He's got more for you. He's got more for you. Your story isn't over. Your life isn't done. Your journey is not through, but he's there, and his hand is upon you. And the times that he needs to carry you, he'll carry you. But when he needs you to walk beside him, you'll walk beside him. It's not over. It's not done. It's time to wake something up inside of us that says, I refuse to stay down. I refuse to stay defeated or stay beaten. Praise God. Praise God. So I just want to take a couple minutes tonight and go all Paul Harvey on it and give us the rest of the story. The rest of the story. Because it'd be sad and it'd be bad if we left all these men at their lowest point. Just like it'd be bad if you left at your lowest point. So let's look quickly at them tonight. Look at Samson. His life we see coming to a close. It's at Judges chapter 16, verses 28 through 30. It says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. You see, he'd been captured and his eyes plucked out and he'd been uh, humiliated and beaten. And so Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, one of the right hand and the other with his left hand. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Samson wasn't satisfied with ending in defeat. He said, sure, I'm going to die and sure my time has come. But God bless me with strength this one more time. And he realized and he acknowledged that God had no obligation to do that. God didn't owe him anything. We get caught up in that mindset sometimes like God owes us something. I don't deserve this. God, Why you owe me a better life. You owe me uh, blessings. You owe me an Escalade. You owe me a half a million dollar home. You owe me all the wonderful things of life. You owe me a wallet that's so thick that I can't sit on it. I receive it. No, I'm just... <laughs> we feel like God owes us some things. But see, Samson didn't have that attitude at all. Samson said, I realize I've, I've made some mistakes. I acknowledge my failure. And God, I just ask you out of your grace and out of your mercy that you would bless me this one last time with your strength, that I may bring your wrath upon these Philistines. And he did so. And the Bible says that in his death, he killed more Philistines than he did throughout his life, which is amazing to me because we've got multiple accounts of the times that he threw a slew hundreds and thousands of Philistines, the thousand Philistines that he slew with the jawbone of the donkey. And that's just one instance. But the havoc that he wreaked throughout the, uh, the lives of the Philistines while he was alive and while he was actively uh, acting as a judge of God upon them, 
he was able to slay more in his death than he did in his life. See, his story might have been coming to an end, but his testimony wasn't. Now we look at Joseph. Joseph, we see we found him in the pit, but he didn't stay in the pit. He didn't end up in the pit. And I've bypassed the whole story for the sake of time. I'll bypass what his brothers said and did and how the restoration was made. But then there came time for an apology to be made. And Joseph realized what God was doing. We see it in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. He said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. See, Joseph saw that God had his hand upon everything. And rather than be angry at God for the process, he praised God for the outcome. Rather than be angry at the process, he praised God for the outcome. Now there's been times, no doubt, that we found ourselves getting through a situation. And once we get to the other side, the light at the end of the tunnel. We made it through. We survived. We've got two choices. We can either get mad and ask God why and demand he give us an answer for leaving us and for making us go through that struggle. Or we can take Joseph's path and acknowledge what you might have meant for evil. God has meant for good. And he's brought me out on the other side. And he's given me a testimony. And he's given me more strength and more power and more capabilities to handle things, to save other people around me, to save even my own family, the ones that had turned their backs on me. He's given me the power to save you now through this. See, they wanted that giant that was in there sleeping. All this time was being prepped. All this time was being prepared. All this time was being exercised. All this time was being ready. He got thrown into a pit. That's just a little bit of light cardio for the giant that's inside him. And then he was sold into slavery. Now he's going to start putting on some bulk. And he's working out that giant. He's getting some things ready. He's getting some circumstances under control. He's preparing himself. You see, if at any time before God called him out of the final jail cell, and to bring salvation and strength and freedom, really, uh, to the times of this, this famine. If it God placed him in that point any time before, he wouldn't have been prepared, and he wouldn't have been ready, and he wouldn't have been able to have the wisdom of God and to speak clearly. We can go through, and it's, there's whole messages on the life of Joseph. There's whole studies on the life of Joseph, but how each uh, seemingly failure, or each uh, shortcoming, or each pitfall developed something else in him, developed something new in him, developed a, a new understanding and a new wisdom and a new strength so that when God was ready and needed him to be used at a certain moment, he was ready and he was prepared. So that giant that's inside of us, we can starve it out by saying, I never want to go through a struggle. I never want to go through a trial. I never want to have a hard time. I never want to not know what's going on. But then when we're placed in a critical moment, we're not prepared for it because that giant that's inside of us has been starved out. It hasn't been training. It hasn't been growing. It hasn't been uh, working itself out and it hasn't been growing. So it's time to awaken a giant, but there's nothing inside. And if you find yourself there, I promise you nothing you've gone through will equate to what that feels like. There's not a, a situation in life that will feel like your biggest moment and you're not ready for it. That's a rough feeling. That's a, that's a hard feeling. But Joseph refused to be captive by that. We look at Saul and now we, of course, know him as Paul. 
Look to Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 22 to see his story. It tells us this. Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou came, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ." Put that last verse back up there, Brother Brom. I love that last phrase there. He increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Not that this is the very Christ, but that this whole situation is very Christ. Because that's what Jesus does for us. That's what Jesus is to us. He is the one that sees us in our mistakes. And he sees us in our failures. And he sees us when we're even adamantly opposed to the things of him. And he sees us and he knows that through it all, he's got a plan. And through it all, there's still a way that he can work. And that he can move. And that he can bring it out to the other side and say, I'm a God of restoration. I'm a God of second chances. I'm a God of new stories and new life. I'm a God that doesn't leave you in your darkest but has a plan for you and a purpose for you and a way and an ability and a desire to use you and he says that through it all no matter what people say and no matter what life says and no matter what the enemy says this is very Christ this is very Christ that I don't stay down that I don't stay defeated that I don't stay beaten but I lift my voice and I proclaim the one who changes lives this is very Christ he says See, Saul wasn't satisfied with staying in his mistakes and staying in his failures. He awakened a giant that was inside, him of, uh, inside of him. <clears throat> and now it's because of that that we see approximately 13 to 17, depending on who you look at, 13 to 17 books of the New Testament are attributed to Paul. Because there was a giant inside of him that was ready to awake. And when the moment came, he let that giant be awakened. Paul realized he needed to make a change, and he didn't let anything stop him. He didn't let the naysayers stop him. You see, there was a way that that could have turned out very differently. He did what was right right away, but there was naysayers. And if he listened to the naysayers, and if he listened to the people that said, you can't do this, and if he listened to the people that said, you can't, you can't proclaim that gospel because of what you did in the past, and if he listened to the people that would try and decry what God wanted to do because of the mistakes and failures that he's made before, we don't have Paul the apostle. We just have another story of somebody's life that ended short of where God wanted it to be. And I pray that that's not us. I pray that that's not me. I pray that that's not you. But I pray that we, no matter what people say, we still proclaim Christ. We still proclaim Jesus. We still do what, he calling, what he's calling us to do. We can look at Job. and uh, Job, you, 
we've got a long, a long passage basically explaining everything that he went through and then explaining the circumstances while he was living in that hard time and the friends that weren't friends and the wife that wasn't supportive. And we see the, the struggles that he went through. Now, the end of his story, we see around, uh, the, the turnaround, we see at Job 42, but all the way back in Job chapter 23 and verse 10, Pastor talked about it this morning. It says, but he knoweth, he's talking about God here, he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Even in his hard time, even in his struggle, even in his downtime, Job was still able to speak with faith and say, this trial that I'm going through is only going to make me better at the end. It's only going to bring me forth as pure gold. It's only going to make me stronger. It's only going to make me more pure. It's only going to make me more presentable to God. It's only going to make me more ready for the moment. It's awakening a giant inside of me. And then we see the end of, uh, of Job's story, the end of his problems, the end of his hardships in 42 and 10. It says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You see, Job repented for his faith that had wavered, and he gloried in the blessings of God. Job wasn't satisfied with life just being down, and he knew that God had a plan through it all. I don't know the scripture or the verse, but I know that he says something to the effect of naked came I into this world, and naked shall I return, but glory be to God, paraphrasing. He was able to give God glory through it all. He was able to say that no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation, I believe and I trust and I hold on to the hand of God, and we can take something from that. We can learn something from that. We could gather something from that and embrace the challenge and embrace the struggle and embrace the hardship and know that this is only bringing us closer to God, not separating us from Him. We turn our eyes back to history and we look at the United States of America. The Japanese admiral, who I'm not even going to try and say his name, Maybe I will. Isoroku Yamamoto. That's pretty good. I felt very Japanese in that. He famously said this, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. The United States with our allies went on to win the war and have not truly been contested as a world power since. You see, when the sleeping giant is awoken, there's something that's stirred inside. There's something that changes your personification. There's something that changes who you are because you realize what's actually inside of you. And until you've been tested and until you've been tried and until your feet have been held to the fire, you don't truly know what's inside of you. But that struggle is preparing you. That journey is strengthening you. That hardship is preparing you for a place that you realize the strength that's inside of us. That we realize that when Acts tells us you shall receive receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, that we're actually prepared to tap into it and to realize it and to use that power because we realize that there's a giant inside that's awoken, that's quickened itself and prepared itself, and now it's ready to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that there's healing and strength and power and salvation. Praise God for it. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that you're preparing us. I thank you that you're strengthening us. I thank you that you're readying me, Lord, for what you're going to do and what you're going to continue to do. 
Praise God. I wonder if somebody in this place isn't ready to shake out of a rut. I wonder if somebody isn't willing to rise up and claim, I will not be defeated. Your story isn't over, but there is a giant inside of you that's only growing stronger with every trial. Your strength is increasing. Your resolve is being bolstered and your trust in God and your connection to him is about to tear the gates off of your situation. I wish somebody would understand what God is trying to do in your life right now. It doesn't have to be another week. It doesn't have to be another month, another year, or another decade. God is telling you right now he is ready and he is anxious and he is prepared to do something in your life that you've only dreamed of, something that you couldn't even fathom before because his hand has quickened you and he's strengthened you and he's empowered you. So I wish we'd be stirred with a terrible resolve to rip the gates off of hell, to go forward proclaiming ourselves as the children of God, proclaiming ourselves as the chosen ones of the Son of God and declaring the name of Jesus and know that I don't have to be captive, that my neighbors don't have to be captive, that my co-workers don't have to be captive, but that he's got revival and that he's got help and that he's got more and that he's got purpose that he wants to use you for. Somebody shout a praise to God right now. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm quickly coming to a close. I'm reminded from a song all the way back in 2006, and music can come whenever they're ready. Back in 2006, Ty Tribbett said it like this, Devil, if you only knew what I was going to be after the storm, you wouldn't have even bothered me. <laughs> he thought he had a plan. He thought he had an idea. He thought he could claim a victory, but devil, if you, <laughs> if you only knew what I was going to be after the storm, you wouldn't have even bothered me. Japan, if you only knew what the United States would be after you attacked them, you wouldn't have even made that mistake. Devil, if you only knew what Joseph would be and what he would accomplish, you wouldn't have ever put him in that pit in the first place. Devil, if you only knew what I was going to be before you put me through that struggle, you never would have tested. You never would have tried. If you would have only seen the faith that Job would hold on to and have, you never would have put him through that struggle. I go so far to say this, devil, if you only knew what United Pentecostal Church of Mankato now, Connect Point United Pentecostal Church, if you only knew what we were going to become, you never would have uh, left us in that building for too many years. You never would have put your hand upon us and tried to stamp out what God would do. You never would have tried to limit growth because I promise you right now, this church is stronger because of the struggle that we face. This church is stronger because we bound together and we raised money and we sacrificed and we committed to him knowing that it was never just about a building, but it was always about souls. It was always about reaching the region. So I'm here to proclaim right now, devil, if you only knew what this church was going to be, if you only knew, haha, if you only knew the revival that was going to come through this place, you never would have put us through the grind. You never would have tested me. You never would have tried me. You never would have tried to put your hands upon my pastor, but you would have found yourself running scared before you awakened a sleeping giant. We could all stand to our feet right now. There's a giant inside of each and every one of you. This church is a giant that's just ready to erupt. We've been strengthened. We've been given a terrible resolve. And and I look at it not as a challenge, but as a gift from God that his hand has been upon us. 
Hallelujah. I feel like tonight that somebody's going to realize that they don't have to accept sickness anymore. Maybe somebody's going to claim power over an addiction. Maybe somebody's going to say, I'm not satisfied with where I am in God. Connect Point UPC, we have not reached our last soul. We have not seen the last person filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have not maxed out on what God is going to do in this region. We've only just scratched the surface. I want to say that one more time. We have not reached the last person. We have not seen the last revival. We have not seen the last outpouring of this Holy Ghost. Young people, you have not seen your largest gatherings in P7. Alex and Brittany, you have not seen your your largest youth group. Pastor Cox, you have not seen your largest revival. I'll go so far to say this. This building is a miracle, but you have not seen your largest miracle. And I'm not just preaching hype right now. I'm speaking under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You have not seen your biggest miracle, church. My brother, my sister, I'm so tempted to call names right now, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to say this, and I hope to God you listen and understand. My brother, you have not seen the greatest miracle that God is going to do in your life. He is not done with you. Your story is not ended. Your journey is not stopped, but his hand is upon you. And he is telling you right now, if you will accept, and if you will reach out and grab a hold of his hand, he is only strengthening you and preparing you for so much more than you could ever believe. Praise God right now. Praise God right now. I'm here to proclaim to somebody there's more revival. There's more salvation. There's more repentance. There's more connection. There's more deliverance. There's more freedom. There's more chains breaking. And there's more walls being torn down. Hallelujah. Now, it might not have been fancy and it might not have been pretty, but I promise you I've given you everything I've got tonight. I've given you everything I can, and don't clap for me because it's not about me. And I don't know what's going to happen in the next little bit, but I'm going to open the altars in just a moment. And when I do, I don't know if we're going to respond today the way that I think we should, but if we don't and we think about it, that's fine. But I almost just feel in my heart and feel in my spirit that there's going to be just one or two people that just can't contain themselves, and they have to realize and understand that there's a giant inside of them that's waking up and being birthed to the things of God. So as I close tonight, the challenge is simply this. Are you willing to let your story end in the valley? Do you want to stay in defeat? Or do you want to grab the outstretched hand of God and allow him to pull you back to your feet and fight one more fight and win one more victory and claim one more triumph with Jesus? Take back your victory, brother. Take back your faith, sister. Take back your strength, child of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't have anything more to say, but I've issued the challenge and these altars are open. I'm going to respond to God and I hope you do too. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.